Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, the podcast about workplace culture, psychology and life. I'm Bruce Taisley. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is kind of a revisitation of some of the themes that we've covered before. And I've, I've probably written more on my newsletter about the four-day week than I've covered it recently. I covered it a, a couple of years ago with someone who returns today to talk about his practical experience. Alex Sujong Kingpong, or Alex Pang as he uh, sometimes abbreviates himself, has written a lot about our relationship with work, first in his his book Rest and now in his book Work Less, Do More, which is a refreshed edition of his previous book Shorter. I chatted to him um, when Shorter first came out. And the interesting thing when he was first writing about four-day weeks and compressed hours and all these different ways of working was that it was like this boutique thing. It was like this thing that you would search high and low for quirky companies of pioneering firms who were trying these things. The firms were often frequently led by maverick bosses who just had an instinct to do something. And so it was an interesting excursion into something that was very in, a very niche pursuit. In the last three years, that has transformed. Uh, shorter working hours, which, like I say, encompasses all manner of things like nine-day fortnights, compressed hours, four-day weeks. All of it, the work, the, the overall um, landscape for that has completely transformed. And Alex himself has played a critical role. He's played a role for Four Day Week Global, the organisation, in helping to desi- design the mechanics of programmes for test firms. So I uh, caught up with Alex at a conference run by Mind Gym. Beautiful setting. It was in the uh, it was in the, the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden. Stunning setting. And I, I sort of gathered with Alex to really pick his brains on what's happened next. Recorded it last month. Thank you for Mind Gym for letting me have access and, and to, to talk to Alex. So here's my discussion. The four-day week revisited. What have we learned with Alex Punk? So I'm here at the Mind Gym event in, I mean, you have to accept Alex. It's a, a beautiful venue, the Royal Opera House. And, and I'm here with Alex Sujong King Punk. And we've, I've had done the podcast, I think, twice before, talking about your books. But right now you're talking about your book about the four-day week. And, and I just thought it would be such a perfect conversation to, to check in on where we are about the four-day week. So 
Look, introduce yourself in a better way than I could do before we start. Oh, that was great. I am Alex Bong. I am the author of the book Work Less, Do More, Designing the Four-Day Week. And I also am a program director at Four-Day Week Global, which is a nonprofit that, as the name suggests, is sort of working with organizations to introduce the four-day week. We also are involved in research that, you know, documenting its benefits. Um, so I kind of design the programs and consulting and uh, develop a lot of the content for that. And that's what I'm really intrigued by, because obviously the four-day week has had it's had a really interesting three years. Firstly, it was pushed out by all the discourse about remote working and, and hybrid working and working from home. And to some extent, it, it felt like, you know, people were framing remote working and hybrid working as the answer. If we were all collectively burnt out and being destroyed by our jobs, then here, here it was, we've got the solution. Latterly, in the last 12 months, the four-day week discussion has risen. And, and I just wonder... You know, from your perspective, when you're sitting down trying to advocate for it, what is the case that you make for, for the four-day week? Part of the argument is that um, the four-day week is a way of sort of improving both the lives of everyone in companies, from the CEO down to the newest hire, um, in ways that really, you know, as the old saying goes, money can't buy. Moving to the four-day week, however, also has benefits for sort of organizations and people in terms of just taking up the challenge of figuring out how to make that jump is something that encourages a greater degree of order communication and collaboration between people. It takes what we often think of as individual challenges around, you know, either becoming more productive or efficient ourselves, you know, solving issues with work-life balance and turns them from individual things that we have to solve ourselves, often at the expense of our relationships with our colleagues, and turns them into or things that we all solve collectively by creating more time that we all share. And so I think that, you know, in contrast to or of the experience that so many of us have of moving to flexible work and then having questions about, well, is this person really committed if they're you know, working 80%? Or why do they get to go home at 3 o'clock while all the rest of us are still here slaving away? That's kind of a zero-sum game. Whereas with a four-day week, when everyone does it, everyone has to cooperate and get so that everyone can get the work done so that everyone can go home at the end of the day Thursday and enjoy a long weekend. But I think, you know, more broadly, that it's also sort of taken off because companies right now are very much trying to figure out what the future of work ought to look like. And many of the larger firms who we work with are doing some experiments with flexible work or, you know, and trying some things with hybrid. And the four-day week is another thing that, that they are evaluating to figure out which one of these works best maybe for most of their workforce or under which circumstances you want to deploy one versus the other. And then I think finally, for a few companies, the four-day week offers some of the benefits of flexibility in the sense that it gives time back to people. But it also creates an incentive structure to bring people back together in the office, not for five days a week, but enough so that, so that people can see each other, so that you can do the kind of work together that still, despite 
advances in technology and our experience using you know, remote tools and, and so on really can be only done effectively when you have a group of people in a room all playing around with a prototype or looking at a diagram or talking through an idea. So I think for all of those reasons, um, the four-day week you know, is a source of uh, curiosity and intrigue for a growing number, um, you know, a solution to a whole bunch of problems that they're facing. Because the position has been transformed. I, I remember when you started writing about this and you've really been a pioneer in this space. And when you started writing about it, the, the examples were cherry-picked and hard to find, right? You know, you were, you were looking at examples here. There was a, a firm in one country here, another one here. But they were like the, these sort of um, diamonds in the rough, really. They, you were sort of finding examples, but really resourcefully. We've now moved a long way from that. There's been these international tests. There's been these pilot studies. And from what I can see, the, the outcome has been that cheerleaders for the four-day week have said that, you know, these... these enough here to advocate for it. But what would you summarise, and for good and for bad, I'd love to hear the, the, the downsides as well. What would you summarise the outcome of those, those pilot tests have been? First off, you're, you know, you're exactly right that both the number of companies that are doing this has grown dramatically, but also companies are a lot more public about it. Right? When I was first doing this research you know, four and five years ago, it was a challenge tracking these down because companies tended not to talk very much about the fact that they'd done four-day weeks. There wasn't really a very good language for it because in some industries, moving to a four-day week was the thing that you did because you were in financial trouble and you had to cut back on production or because you're in a hard-charging industry where you know, overwork is a badge of honor and so moving to a four-day week seems like trying to defy the laws of physics. These days, on the other hand, when companies move to four-day weeks, they do a press release or the CEO you know, talks about it on LinkedIn or something. And so they see it as a way of establishing themselves as a company that cares about its workers, that is thoughtful about you know, process, that wants to create a better future of, or a future of work. Now, what they find on the upside is that when done right, the four-day week brings benefits both for employees, for leaders, and for organizations as a whole. It's often the CEO or some other top executives who actually want this for themselves. Making it company-wide is a great way of kind of holding them accountable and forcing them to actually, you know, put this into practice. The trials that Four Day Week Global has led and which our academic partners have studied tell us that virtually every metric of or performance, work-life balance, stress, sleep, etc. move in positive directions. People can find the or the statistics for themselves, but, you know, for example, 40% of people I think report ha- sleeping better as well as sleeping like half an hour more per night on average, which has all kinds of long-term or benefits. Sickly, or the number of sick days people take during trials goes down by more than 60%, which is significant. And companies themselves report either no loss in revenues, customer satisfaction, etc., or somewhere between a, you know, or a modest and, in some cases, sort of dramatic improvements. So in the last UK trial, revenues on average were up about one and a quarter percent, and you have some stories of places where uh, you know, revenues increase by double digits. Now, all of that sounds great, 
So what are the challenges? I think that, first of all, it's something that requires quite a bit of planning. It's also something that is easier to do in organizations where you have sort of a more experienced workforce. In a sense, you need people who know their jobs well enough to be able to redesign them. It's like inexperienced people don't necessarily understand sort of the craft and what's really important about the work that they do and what's stupid or broken in their professions well enough to be able to redesign it. I think also that it is really essential that you have and you encourage excellent communication and collaboration between people doing the trials. And finally, that you need to have a kind of mindset and leadership that is tolerant of and almost encourages quick failure and learning and iteration. It is inevitable as you try this that, you're going to, that people are going to try lots of different things to, make, or to improve their efficiency or to make teams work better. Not all of that is going to work. And if you're the sort of place that isn't very tolerant of those kinds of experiments or lack of success, that's going to be a real hindrance. The places where it works well or where it's okay to say, number one, we tried this thing and it didn't work. Number two, we learned this thing from it. So number three here's how we can build on this learning and do it better. That's an easy kind of thing to describe. It's a really hard thing for companies to do. Let me t- on the, um, the Financial Times ran a wonderful series of podcasts on their, their work in it feed, um, looking at the four-day week and, and yeah. just going into wonderful detail. And one of the things that they testified to was that the people who did it said it was transformational, said they, they loved it. As you said, you can't just switch to this. It requires a great deal of planning, of, of consideration. But one of the things they mentioned along the way was that um, work intensity increased and pushed out the social interaction between team members. Now, look, actually, we might consider that to be something that we're willing to trade off. But in terms of team cohesion, that strikes me as an interesting conundrum that you know you might get a lot of people who are working very effectively together mechanically in a transaction but don't necessarily have a a rapport and a connection i wonder if you could speak to that right now it's absolutely something that you have to pay attention to and in a sense anticipate and design for it is easy to sort of dismiss water cooler talk or you know, inform or you know the informal chatter before meetings as just wasted time and it is maybe inefficient, but it's not wasted. So what companies do when you tighten up meetings and so on is actually program in time for coffee breaks, for lunches for everyone, so that balanced against the deep work periods, the times when people are really you know, intensive, heads down, you have time when, it, when everyone has permission to be social, to talk about the football game or who won the Grammys, to preserve the, you know, those office friendships and sense of sort of cohesion and, you know, and community that really are essential in work and which I think a lot of us missed when we went remote and which we would like to reclaim especially if there was a way to do so without completely sacrificing the virtues of remote work or having to come back into the office five days a week. Along the way, probably the big obsession with everyone in work right now is productivity. And the whole 
five four day week project lives or dies on productivity. Uh, the, the notion that we can achieve more in four days. Uh, I wonder if you could speak to productivity a little bit. What was the impact of working four days on productivity? And I'm interested whether there's anything of a Hawthorne effect here. Hawthorne effect is the that old factory in the 1930s that was being tested on. Uh, I think it was part of General Electric, and uh, they they raised the lights, productivity went up. They lowered the lights, productivity went up, and effectively it was just the novelty, the short term novelty of being observed, right. and for situations to change. And so I'm interested in if there is any Hawthorne effect of being in a six month trial on this. And and secondly how productivity overall was was being impacted by the experiment. Right, okay. To take those in reverse, um, Hawthorne effect, we have firms that have been doing this now for you know several years and productivity, it, uh, productivity was not boosted by the sugar rush of the trials and the novelty and then sort of fell back down. It is possible to maintain those same kinds of levels, but I think you've got to work a little for it. In particular, there are plenty of companies that will continue the four-day week, but make it contingent upon continued good performance. Uh, so it's a benefit, not part of your contract. It's also something that you have to uh, have to earn rather than becoming an entitlement. Another thing that some companies will do is present new company-wide challenges. This is something you see in smaller companies where they will say, all right, this quarter, we want to work on the space. We want our offices now in three months to look different than they do today and to reflect the new way in which we work. And so having those kinds of challenges can be a way of refocusing people's minds, of keeping in that kind of experimental mindset. Those are a couple of the ways that companies have found to deal with the Hawthorne effect problem. As for the productivity issue, you know, I just came off a panel about productivity and the challenge that I have with this is that I think for, you know, unless you are in a factory making widgets, productivity is almost meaningless as a technical concept. It really, for most of us, is a synonym for doing good stuff or, you know, doing what we're supposed to or maybe a little more. But for knowledge workers, we can talk about the things that affect productivity. We can talk output, you know, whether people are meeting deadlines and so forth. But productivity in most you know in most contexts these days is actually impossible to measure it's like a black hole right you can you know you can study the space around it you can look at what goes in what comes out but you know you can never observe inside this thing and i think productivity with knowledge work in a way is a similar thing now as a practical matter what that means though is that so long as companies have decent KPIs or some other kind of measure that tells leadership and tells people whether they're doing a good job. That's really all you need, right? Are your customers still happy? Are you still making your deadlines? You know, are your revenues the same or better? If you've got that kind of stuff and you've been measuring it long enough so that your people can say, you know, can look at the trend and translate movement up or down into changes that they might have to make or improvements that they can build on, then you'll be fine. But 
the more time I spend on this, the more time I think the term productivity is about as useful as the term luminiferous ether or phlogiston. <laughs> I'm reading at the moment Zenip Tan's book for The Case for Good Jobs, and uh, she makes the point in there that almost all of the impact that we see of productivity on uh, of people in jobs is caused by employee turnover. That broadly, uh, you lose productivity from... Uh, people leaving. And so uh, expertise leaves, experience leaves, capability leaves, and you, you have the costs to bear of having to train new people up. And so there might be a reason why, the reason why the US have seen five quarters of productivity decline is because we've seen a quit rate and the great resignation, and it's just working that through. And so the challenge for any organization might be in this moment we're in, okay, we can get productivity up really clearly. There's a linear relationship by making employees stay longer. And so, therefore, the four-day week as a retention tool seems to be like this remarkable, uh, this remarkable weapon in that. Because I'd have thought, and maybe you can you can give us some illustration of this. I'd have thought as a retention tool, there can't be many more effective tools than asking, inviting people to take uh, an extra day off per week. Absolutely. You know, the retention benefits are somewhere between big and enormous, depending upon what your turnover situation was like previously. So the most dramatic example, I think, is um, a care home called The Glebe in Virginia. And they before introducing a a four-day week for their nursing staff, had turnover of about 140% or so. Because these are difficult jobs, they're not very well paid, and so people didn't have a whole lot of incentive to sort of stay in them for a very long time rather than to go work in, you know, literally like a fast food restaurant or such. After they introduced a shorter work week at the same levels of pay, so moving from eight-hour shifts to six-hour shifts for the, and being paid for 40 so long as you didn't call in sick that week, you know, you did a couple of other things. Turnover went from 140% per year to about 20% per year. The fascinating thing was that quality of care also went up because, you know, carers and carers and residents had more time to get to know each other. The administration of psychotropic drugs went down. You had fewer slips and falls, fewer bed sores and so on. But also the program almost paid for itself because it turned out that the home was having to spend $120,000 a year paying overtime, paying for or of temp workers to come in at the last minute or paying for um, job advertisements and training. Hiring more people, because you always need nursing staff, cost them about $140,000. And so it was a relatively small gap there, but the program nearly paid for itself. And, you know, that's a sort of, that's an extreme example, but there are lots of companies that report turnover going down, retention going up, in smaller companies getting more experienced people than they had previously. And sometimes saving pretty substantial amounts of money on training, recruitment, and also avoiding the disruptions that come when, you know, your senior developer or your IP expert, you know, quits. And there are like 14 of those people in the entire country. And so it takes six months to find or to train a replacement. So 
you also avoid those kinds of kinds of disruptions that can really hit productivity. So for all of those reasons, the four-day week right now is having real benefits for hiring and keeping talent. Do you think it's because, uh, and, and, and I'm interested as well, just to hear your perspective, because you have mentioned face-to-face a couple of times that, you know, there, there does seem to be, even on a shorter week, there does seem to be a, 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 a tangible benefit of face-to-face. But um, do you think it's... You know, if we were honest, work is filled with so many lies and so many untruths. You know, the idea that we're on all these Zoom calls, paying attention Mm -hmm. is a myth. It's an illusion. A lot of us are on Teams calls, paying no attention, doing emails. But, you know, that's not the the lie we're meant to tell. And and Friday's developed a, a different hang of its own in terms of how it feels. Most people now, if they're asked to do a long meeting on Friday afternoon, they feel like their human rights have been violated. <laughs> Friday's got a different feel to it. If, uh-huh. if, if workers can choose any single thing, it's to work on home on Fridays. Right. And so Fridays all, have already transitioned into this liminal place where they're not the same. Yeah. And is the four-day week just a more candid version of that? It's like, actually, look, let's not, let's not mess around with this. Let's be committed to getting the job done to be committed to to working in a different way and then we you can realize the full benefit of friday feeling different yeah you know i think in a way more industries are following like advertising and pr a couple of the companies i talked about in shorter um moved to a four-day week because they said you know in advertising in London, Thursday you start going out for drinks. Uh, Friday the drinks cart rolls around. You do a couple emails, but nobody really, you know, nobody has meetings with clients or does really essential stuff. So why not just kill this day off? And in a way, I think that we are that there are more companies that have gravitated towards that, and that in a way has created a space for sort of the four-day week to take hold. It's also similar but slightly different way, you know, the introduction of summer hours where you go to a nine-day fortnight sort of, let's say, in July and August such. This has proved to be a kind of test bed that has taught some companies, you know, the world won't spin off its axis and crash into the sun if we only work nine days rather than ten over, you know, the, over these two weeks. And so maybe moving to a four-day week is also a possibility. But I think you're, you know, you are right that there are there are some companies that have been kind of drawn slowly toward this. I think there also are, you know, and then finally, there are companies that have adopted it after seeing some of their workers move to part-time to three or four-day weeks and be as productive as they had been when they were working for five days. Almost inevitably are, you know, are mothers, but they have shown that it's possible still to do this work sort of in a shorter time frame. And they have kind of emerged as sort of leaders within their, sort of within their companies, showing everyone how to do this, when previously working in this way had made them kind of, you know, sort of marginal figures. You know, it turns out they're marginal because they were just, you know, getting to the future before everyone else did. It really strikes me that four-day week is, is almost, in a benign way, a cultish thing, in the sense that um, the things I've read are that organisations that have made this work, there's a, there's a fervour, there's a commitment, there's a resolve, there's a collective determination that we're all stakeholders in this and we're going to make it work. And so as a result of that, they all buy into it and as a result, they all yield the benefits. But I, I did read um, in some of the discourse about the 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 test companies that, for example, um, 
people who were working a four-day week committed that if they were having a washing machine delivered or having a dental appointment, they would do that on the fifth day. They wouldn't do that the rest of the days. But new, new arrivals who turned up in the company weren't willing to submit to that. And it feels to me like if you're going to make this work, you need to get someone to buy into the culture from day one. They need to commit to, look, you know, actually our agreement is that you go and do those things on your fifth day, not on your... And as a result, it feels a field, if you're going to make four days work, firstly, you need planning, you need to be intentional. But secondly, you need to try to create an, an explicit and overt culture. What's your perspective on that? I plead guilty to it being a cult. I've probably done a little bit to move it to move it in that direction. I think, you know, the companies that have done it are all so far self-selecting, right? They are or companies in which you've had um, impetus from the top, or of, you know, the CEO or chief human resources person, or a small circle of people who have really pushed for this and see it as you know, a way for them to keep their own careers going, sometimes literally to save their own lives, to, prevent, or, you know, to keep them from sort of burning out. And because it is something that's new, because in a sense it still you know, puts all of you together against the rest of the world, still sees long hours as inevitable and inescapable, I think it can create a bit of a kind of us versus them mentality that does contribute to, yeah, a certain a certain cultishness in a good way. The positive version is that sense of identity of social con- uh, of or a social con- cohesion is genuinely valuable for giving people the ability to work together to solve difficult problems in order to make sort of the four day week a success. Is it the case then that the four-day week is something that will forever require that sort of explicit buy-in, that sense of community, of commitment, a belief that you can make your own life better and your own work more purposeful by doing that? That doesn't actually sound like a horrible way to work or a horrible way to organize a business culture. I mean, I think that eventually between advances in technology and sort of, you know, and other things, we will get to the point where the four-day week becomes a much more normal thing. And maybe one day will become something that we don't have to think quite so much about or invest quite so much in. But I think, you know, for now, the companies that do make it work are ones where you've got leaders who really believe in it. You have sort of people who are maybe start off skeptical but then become enthusiastic. You know, that psychological, that collective uh, dimension really is important for determining its success. Let's finish by sort of a look down the road at a sort of prediction. It's really interesting at the, at the moment. Anyone who's interested in workplace culture and the way that work has evolved in the last three years, these dark clouds looming on the horizon. You know, we're seeing more and more black back-to-work mandates. BlackRock joins a uh, place like Goldman and in, in, in asking people back to work this week. We're seeing a, a sort of tightening of some of the flexibility that we saw. And so... You know, while there's a context of people talking about four-day week, there's also this growing anxiety and, and contagion that maybe sort of giving too much flexibilities is a, a self-defeating business strategy. With all those things in mind, what do you think the next five years, ten years are going to bring? 
I think we are in for a period of extended experimentation with sort of the way we work. We will continue to have some companies led basically by guys who went long on real estate, who are on the bad side of a trade and are trying to force their workers to make them whole, insisting that we got to go back to the office. And that, you know, this is, the problem is that we all now know there's an awful lot of work that doesn't require being physically proximate. And that what we really need to do is to be clear about what the office is good for. You know, what kind of work can we in this organization really do well when we bring everyone together? And figuring that out is not going to be an easy thing. You know, workspaces are highly complex. They are as, they are as complex as the people who work in them. And so I think we are in for sort of an extended period where everyone is going to be trying to figure this out. And, you know, I just hope that enough places do it in a kind of systematic sort of data-rich way so that we can actually make some progress in understanding under what conditions, right, does remote work allow for higher levels of happiness or higher level levels of productivity. When in people's careers, does it really make sense to have, you know, to have everyone together in an, or in an office? Under what vanishingly few conditions do long hours actually make sense, right? Are there times in your career or in your life where the learning curve really is steep enough so that extra hours make, you know, sort of are justified. These are all things that we've got to map out. But the fact that I'm seeing companies you know, explicitly conducting experiments or doing natural ex- these natural experiments where, you know, the Frankfurt office tries flexible and, you know, or if the London office goes to a four-day week, etc., suggests to me that we will get some answers. And I think finally that we all have been through an experience that has shown us that people and companies can change faster and more profoundly than we ever thought possible. I had one or CEO tell me, in February 2020, work from home was the hill I would die on. I absolutely knew we could never do it, and my people proved me wrong in about two weeks. And so when they started talking about a four-day week, there is no way that I could say, no, this will never work here. The question now is what do we do with that? Right? We have a door that's opened potentially to a new world of work. Do we shut it? Do we go back to you know, commuting to the office five days a week? Or do we seize that opportunity and figure out how to make work better for everybody? And I think that too many people want to go through that door you know, to be willing to go back to the way things were and just go back to the office. Love it. I'm inspired to see what happens. I love your optimism because I, I always want the optimists to win. So what we do need is anyone who's trying this to share their successes because there's no shortage of naysayers who are trying to suck all the oxygen out of the room. So here's to the successes sharing their, their good fortune and, and their good results. Alex, thank you. Lovely to chat to you. Oh, Bruce, it's been a pleasure. 
thank you to Alex. I've put a link to his book in the show notes and I've put a link to a couple of the other things. Some of the, the newsletters I've, I've written covering this, um, the, the Financial Times Working It podcast has covered this extensively and I, and I wrote a sort of listening guide for one of their series on it. Um, so you'll find all of that on the newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. Writing a review on Apple is a godly thing that helps other listeners discover it. I never really tout for these things, but if, you, if you're interested in paying something forward or returning some, some benefit for this, then writing a review on Apple would be a godly thing to do. I've been Bruce Aisley. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.